With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your baseball is suspended home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and I write not about baseball right now. I write about pandemic life, uh, but eventually I will get to write about baseball again, and I'm really looking forward to that. Hi, guys. Andy Cruz Vanasek. Remember me? I had to dust my mic off today. I am so happy to be here talking with the one and only Sarah Sanchez. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I feel much better. And actually, you know, I just read this morning, I'm going to tell you this to Sarah, because I know we exchanged some text messages yesterday that we'll get into. But if you force yourself to smile, there is actually a chemical in your brain that is released that tricks it into believing that you're happy and having fun. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I actually had to do this twice today when I was running and I was only running for two miles today. That was my goal, but my legs were cached and I was like a mile and a half in and I was ready to stop and I forced myself to smile and I finished it. I got all the way through my two miles. So, and actually, you know, the, the whole idea of forcing myself to smile actually kind of made me feel really silly. Cause I'm like people, if anybody's looking at me right now, wondering what the heck I'm smiling about, like that made me kind of giggle to myself. So it actually did work like making me, you know, happy and, and kind of feel better. But it's just funny to me how that works. And right now we could all use a little help laughing and smiling, I think. No, that's a really good reminder. I remember learning that trick um, when I first started running and I, a friend of mine told me that like your attitude for those longer runs really determines your ability to get through them. And so if you're thinking about your run and you're like, oh my God, I've only gone four miles and I have to do six more and it's hot and everything's awful. It feels awful. But if you're thinking about it like, hey, that was four miles and it's easy and I love this song and you put a smile on your face, the next six miles kind of just fly by. Not always, but a lot of the time. And frankly, this is a pretty good metaphor (laughs) for pandemic life because we are all in like mile three of a super long marathon that we have to get through. And yeah, being able to put a smile on your face sometimes is really hard. So Andy, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kick off our, by the way, official official one-year anniversary show. So there's going to be some discussion of that too. Um, But I'm going to kick off our official one-year anniversary show with a question that is not about baseball at all, but it's just about how are you? (laughs) You know, it's so funny how, how many meanings are behind that question these days. Like, you know, it it can be, there's so much that there's so many different ways I can answer that, you know, like, how am I day to day? How am I emotionally? How am I dealing with, you know, the situation of being at home all the time? You know, quite frankly, I have to, I don't have to remind myself as much as um, I used to, because I've tried to take on this new, like positive way of thinking. But as many days as I've had that have felt really crappy, or like, I've just been really 
down and, and not feeling the best. There's been way more good days. I can honestly say way more, um, which is good because you think right now it's really hard to stay positive about things. I myself am a very anxious person. I, I struggle with anxiety. Um, I know you and I have that in common. We all, I mean, I'm sure everybody struggles with anxiety, but I'm very anxious about things opening back up and being people being too aggressive about going right back to things as normal. Um, so, you know, I, I struggle with that a little bit, but I think for the most part, um, I have done a fairly good job at finding the silver lining on just about every part of this whole quarantine shelter in place situation. Um, my family is extremely close and that's not always a great thing. Sometimes you just need your space. So we've also had to figure that part out, which is an, another interesting dynamic that, you know, some people don't always do well with. Um, but I'm doing good. I, you know, you and I exchanged some text messages last night that I really needed. Um, I felt myself and I feel like, you know, I had told you I was kind of kind of talk about this, but I feel like other people can probably relate to this because I'm not seeing quite as much baseball activity on Twitter, obviously, as we would normally at this time of year. I was in a major, I'm in a major baseball rut. Like there's just nothing that excites me right now about baseball. These are words I never thought in my life I would say. And I have a really hard time with that because I identify with baseball quite a bit. Like, I feel like that is a lot of who I am, um, my personality, you know, what drives me, what makes me excited, what, you know, uh, let's be honest, what I plan my day around most summer days, you know? Um, so yeah, I was struggling with that. I was having a really hard time with that. Um, but after, you know, exchanging some text messages with you, like I said, everybody just needs to find that friend that can pick them up, that can make them feel better. Because um, tell you what, after our exchange last night, I felt way better because just knowing that I'm not alone in, in how I feel about things is, is good. And I know there's probably a lot of people out there right now that feel like they are alone and there's no baseball and this it just, it, it's awful. This is not ideal, but it, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, there will be, there will be an end to this life. We'll go back to somewhat a new version of normal and, and all will be well, you know, there's much bigger things that we could be complaining about. So I try to keep perspective on that. So my long answer there is I am very good. And I thank you for my, our text message exchange last night, because that, that really helped me kind of wake up a little bit. Oh, girl, anytime. I mean, I've had, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I, most of my days are pretty good or at least okay. Like I get a lot done. I have a roof over my head. I have a job. I'm lucky enough to be able to work from home. Pretty productive. Frankly, like I've been able to like organize my apartment, which is not something I'm very good at, um, that I've had all this free time and I'm just here. So it's like, I can declutter a bit and really take, you know, take on some projects that I have been putting off for a long time. Um, but there are days that just suck. I, and I think that's okay. Like, I think that it's not possible to go through such a long-term, I'm going to use the word traumatic. And I don't mean that in a dramatic sense. I mean that in like a, clinical, like, this is a really hard thing. People are being asked to stay away from all the people 
that they love for their own personal safety. The news is just a deluge of like constant sadness and death and threat. And even if you're not somebody who has had someone you love sick with COVID or someone who has lost their job, you're, you're going through something that is a little bit traumatic too, right? And we're, we all have to deal with that however we can. And that means that some days, I'll be totally honest with y'all, some days I wake up and I am just physically exhausted to the point where I, I feel like I have like a 10 pound weight just like holding me in bed, trying to like figure out how to like motivate myself to get on with the day. And sometimes it, like if, I, I'll, if I'm feeling really anxious and I see a person coming down the street without a mask, I just get like, I don't know, like almost angry in a way that like I'm not used to because I'm not a I'm not an angry person. <laughs> and that freaks me out a little bit. But none of us know how to deal with this. We're all doing something that is different than what we've ever done before. And we just have to be gentle with ourselves. And we have and, and it's and reach out to people like I was so glad you texted me last night because one. It lets me know that I can text you when I'm having a bad day, which I already knew because I did that earlier in the pandemic. Like the, I think it was right after the episode where I was like ready to cry because I had, I was like, I haven't had a hug in a month. It's been two and a half months now, people. So still hugless streak going strong. Um, but Andy reached out immediately and was just like so thoughtful. She sent me a Cubs care package because she's awesome. And it was just nice to know that someone cared about me and was thinking about me. And I, you know, you've got to have those friends. You've got to have those people. I I was lucky enough on Friday, and I mean lucky, because even though I vaguely knew this was going to happen in advance, I didn't know the time and I hadn't planned my day around it or anything, um, that I just happened to walk up Waveland right when the Cubs' new organist, uh, John Benedict, was practicing, and I could hear the organ music as I was coming up Waveland. And I honestly, it was like music for my soul. It was just like, I was ready to cry. <laughs> I posted a video where I almost am in tears. So like proof positive, ready to cry. But it wasn't just that, like seeing even from a distance, some of our friends from Cubs games, like Danny Rocket and Michael Bowling and Chris Sorley and Bleacher Jeff and Bleacher Tony and like, the, like all of these people, I was just like, it was so nice to remember that I have my people and this is a space that is going to be back someday and it's just going to be hard right now, but it will be back. It's not gone forever. Well, I have to say that your video was phenomenal because I like it barely started going and I already knew what was going to happen. And I started to hear the organ and I just lost it. And like, seriously, I probably watched it. I'd say four or five, maybe six times. And every single time I cried every single time. The first time was a, an ugly cry. Like I had to excuse myself and go in my room and have an ugly cry because it was just, it's, it was so symbolic. I think of so many different things. And um, I think it was the timing on that could not have been more perfect. And it was just, it was amazing. It was awesome. You know, and, and people like non-sports people don't get it and will, would never understand that, but things in their world would hit them the way that this hit us, you know? Right. Um, it just, to me, it was just such a, oh my gosh, I was so, I mean, I think I texted you. I think I messaged you <laughs> on Hangouts. I think I responded to like seven different posts on Twitter. I was just so grateful that you guys posted those videos because it was just, it was like, 
that beacon of light that I needed that day, you know, like, yes, there is there. It, it still exists. <laughs> you know, it's, it's out there. So yeah, it was, that was great. And that was really something that I think people needed. And obviously like you and I were talking about the amount of people that watched that video, people needed that video. Like that was something that they needed. And, um, you know, props to, to, you know, the Chicago Cubs organization for, for doing that, because that was such a, I mean, it, I'm surprised that there wasn't more people out on the streets, to be quite honest. Um, I think if people would have known, there would have been. I don't think it was very well publicized. I think it was mentioned in the season ticket holder conversation. And so it was a really small group of people who knew it was coming. Well, somebody had posted, too, that they mentioned it on the morning news or the afternoon news. Yeah. And that had gotten out, but not very much. And I'm like, well, maybe that was by design, though, because obviously they knew they would have an issue if too many people knew it was happening and, the, you know, the streets would be packed. Right. Um, but I mean, gosh, what a cool thing to catch. And the timing on that was just, I mean, if that doesn't tell you a story right there, then I don't know what does. But for you to catch that and not even be um, be a planned thing, like that's that's pretty amazing. That's, that's pretty awesome. Well, so two things about that, and this is baseball adjacent, but then we'll, there is real baseball news, people. We will get to real baseball news in a second. Um, the There were a couple of songs that uh, Benedict played that just, I almost lost it on. So one was Sweet Caroline, which for those of you who don't know, that is a Boston Red Sox song that's played every eighth inning in the middle of the eighth inning, um, just like we have our whole take me out to the ball game thing their thing is sweet caroline and it was crazy like at ball hot corner all of the bleacher bums were socially distanced and masked but like dancing to sweet caroline in the streets literally just in the streets because there was there's no traffic right now so it's just like the bleacher bums dancing to sweet caroline and i that was fun. I'm not going to lie that was fun. I teared up. It was fun in a way that was just kind of beautiful and and awesome. But when he ended with What a Wonderful World, I just, I'm going to cry talking about it. I, can't I know. No, it. I was just going to say, oh my gosh, I feel it coming again. Like my nose tickles. I am so going to cry if you start talking about it. I'm hearing it right now in my head, like just talking about it. I'm hearing him play the song and I'm actually picturing somebody, ha- was it you? Did you have a video of yourself walking while he was playing this? I didn't have myself walking. I was sitting, I was sitting down um, on Waveland. I just found a spot by myself and just literally sat on the sidewalk and took a video of people walking by me uh, as he was playing. But yeah, I did post that in that same thread. I was going to say somebody took a video of themselves walking while he was playing it. And I can picture in my head right now, this is how many times I watch these videos, people. I can picture in my head, the tree and the side of the outfield wall and the sidewalk where this person, and I can't remember, I know it's one of our probably close friends that was doing, that was filming this while he was playing the song, but I can see it perfectly right when it ends. And like, that was just, wow. That that was emotional. I'm not going to lie. That was very emotional, but it is, what a cool thing. And like, I mean, not to, you know, brush over anything. I know we need to get to baseball news, but how are you, Sarah? We don't hear how you are. How are you? (laughs) Uh, today I'm really good. Today is a good day. Um, it's been a really dreary week in Chicago and my mood is like highly light and outdoors access dependent. It's just one of those things I know about myself. So when we have these periods in Chicago where the weather is awful for like a week on end, 
that's really tough on me. So earlier this week, um, Tuesday, I think, Tuesday was a bad day. <laughs> just like my energy was shot. I could hardly get anything done. I just felt like I'd been hit by a ton of bricks. But I today is good. Uh, the sun has been peeking through for a couple of hours each day. I've been able to arrange my day to get outside for at least a little while. Got my miles in today. Nice little three-mile run. That was fun. Um, so I, I'm doing okay today. But I, I think it's okay to admit that I'm not doing okay every day. And there are probably one, two sometimes more days a week where I need to be really gentle with myself and just give myself a lot of space. And that's a new normal for me right now. It's not something that I have always been good at doing. I'm not always great at giving myself that permission to not be 100% on all the time, but I'm learning that you can't go through something like what we're all going through and have just everything click all the time. And that's okay. Um, but no, today's been a good day. I had some really good conversations with work staff. We're actually trying to redesign an entire extracurricular activity to be online, which is a crazy project. And we'll see how we do. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm busy and I'm happy and I, I'm okay. But And I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Well, I love the the whole thing that you say, be gentle with yourself, because I think us as a society, as a whole, as people not only need to be gentle with ourselves, but each other. Yes. I think people just forget that we all have different perspectives when it comes to certain things. And like, I don't know about your work. I've read that many of many of works are letting people work from home. Like it's their decision if they want to work from home, like for good, or if they want to, you know, however they want to do it, they're leaving that open. And my work is actually a place that is going to allow me to work from home probably the majority of the summer into the fall, um, simply because right now how the academic year starts in the fall is up in the air. And I have three children, two of which are going are in middle school now, and one is in second grade. So as you can imagine, I would need to be supervising some sort of homeschooling. So yeah, I mean, the be gentle is definitely something I need to to remind myself and and the folks around me because it's definitely it's a different challenge every day for everyone. So I love that and I'm going to use that if I don't get that tattooed on my body. <laughs> we might have to do that. Maybe we'll get uh, matching be gentle tattoos. <laughs> Seriously, it's so. I mean, like that's like the best thing I can say right now. Either that, like or it's gonna be blue. too right. Either that, or it's gonna be two other words that people aren't gonna want, like their children to see. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm here for it, Andy. We're getting matching tattoos when this is over. Uh, okay, I love all it. All right, baseball. Let's talk about baseball. So, baseball has a plan to resume in 2020. This plan was laid out in a 67-page document that. I have not seen, but a lot of people are reporting on both ESPN and The Athletic did outstanding write-ups of this. And I'm not going to get into every single bullet point and nitty gritty detail, but I I'm going to tell you that if you're looking for like the comprehensive what is going on and will baseball be back, you need to check out the reporting that Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich are doing at The Athletic. And you also need to check out this comprehensive like 5,000 plus word piece that was on ESPN a couple of days ago. Um, the, the nuts and bolts are this, and we're going to talk about this through the rest of the episode, so all the way through to the end. Uh, but the there will be a testing regime. 
those tests will all be run through MLB's PED lab. So they won't take away from the existing testing capacity that currently exists. Although I, I think this is like one of those, how you define it matters types of things. If there is testing capacity at the PED lab, I don't know why that wasn't offered up to the general public ages ago. That seems like something that MLB should have done, but we'll, we'll save that. I'm sure we can talk about that more in a minute. Um, there will be social distancing on the field, in the dugout. The balls will be changed out anytime a play involves multiple players. They're banning spitting, which I'm not entirely sure how they'll do that, but good yeah. luck. <laughs> be interesting. <laughs> that one jumped out at me because I was like, it seems like a thing that just people do and they don't really think about it, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> there will be no lineup cards exchanged. Some of the players will be seated in the stands in order to keep themselves away from other players. And it sounds like all of the like showering, getting ready type of stuff to the extent possible will be happening at home rather than in the clubhouse. So a lot to unpack here. We haven't even gotten to the finances yet. That's going to come on the other side of the break. Let's just talk about the testing regime stuff for a second, Andy. What are your thoughts? Does this seem like a feasible plan to you to get baseball back from the testing side? I mean, I like it. I like it that that's obviously a priority and it has to be right now. Um, I don't think, I don't feel like, I don't know. I don't know the best way to say this. I think that there is probably going to be, it's going to be picked apart. There's going to be bits and pieces of this that are not going to make sense, are not going to do what they need to do to keep it completely safe. Um, I just feel like I'm not saying I don't want baseball to come back because that could easily, what I'm about to say could easily be translated to that. I definitely want baseball to be back. Oh my gosh, I need baseball back. But I'm also not prepared to bring it back in a hurry in a situation where it is unsafe and, you know, all the T's are not being crossed and all the I's are not being dotted because that's a situation where one person gets sick, one, you know, the testing does not work in, a, in, in an instance where it needed to work or it's not accomplishing what we need it to accomplish. Somebody gets sick and I mean, all of the would have, could have, should have come into play. And I just think there's a lot of moving parts with this. It just, my, I still can't completely wrap my mind around how baseball is going to come back. I mean, you heard me laugh at the band spitting thing. Like I just, I don't, I, I think it's funny too. I just, and I hate to laugh at that. I hate, I'm not making light of it by any means. It just, it's so, it just sounds so ridiculous. And I know it's not obviously spitting is a way that this virus is, you know, anything, any illness or sickness can be transmitted is, you know, obviously through saliva, but it, it's baseball. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> people have to be able to spit. I mean, how many people spit sunflower seeds in the stands? You know, I mean, like, I'm even gotta... thinking, I hadn't even thought about sunflower seeds. Poor Javi. Javi has sunflower seeds at every game. <laughs> I know. Well, that's considered spitting. So I would guess that that would be banned. But um, I mean, to me, it's considered spitting. I just I don't know. I, I love the idea. I like that they're really trying to get the, the ball rolling and, and get things in motion. I just don't know how it can be 100% effective in keeping everyone safe. I just feel like there's so many things. Well, I could so be, I, I oh, mean, I could be completely off base here. I mean, I could, th there may be a way to tackle all of it, but I just, I feel very overwhelmed when I think about baseball coming back 
and having a zillion new rules, you know, I, but again, like I said, I, I'm not, I want baseball back. So if that's the case, then, then I'll have to just deal with that. Well, so I want to get into this idea of like, can it be 100% safe? Cause I just don't think anything can be 100% safe at the moment. And I, I think that baseball needs to have a plan, a message, a, understanding of like how much risk they're willing to tolerate. Cause I think it's probably inevitable that some player or some player's family member is going to get the coronavirus over the course of this time. And so if somebody is going to get sick over the course, like what is the threshold at which you have to shut it down versus quarantining that player? Right? Like if it's one player, it seems like you can probably quarantine the player, quarantine their family and keep going. If it's, Five players on one 26-man roster, that seems different. If it's 10% of umpires, that seems problematic, right? Like, do you see where I'm going with this? I just think there are thresholds here that, and none of us know what they actually are. And this is what makes all of pandemic life so frustrating. Because the same thing is going to happen with schools. It's going to happen with workplaces. It's going to happen with businesses and cities. Like, I, I imagine that when when schools come back, they will come back in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if it will be in the fall. It might be next year in the spring. But when they come back, at some point, some kid is going to have coronavirus in the class, right? And the question is, does one instance of the virus shut down the entire school for two weeks for a deep clean and quarantine cycle? Or does it have to be 5% or something? I don't know. I'm making up that number. I... So that's the first question that I really have is what is that risk threshold? And then I guess my subsidiary question there, and this is something I'm curious what you think about, Andy, because I've been thinking about it a lot, is that players don't all have the same risk tolerance for what they're willing to accept here for a whole variety of reasons. So some players might have spouses who are immunocompromised or have pre-existing conditions. Some players have pre-existing conditions. Uh, And so their risk tolerance has to be different than a player who doesn't have any underlying condition or immunocompromised issues. And I, I wonder how we deal with that, because it's not even so much that, you know, we're going to accept X amount of risk, like different people are going to be able to tolerate different things. And baseball players are no different than the rest of us there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, you think about all the players and even, you know, we have quite a few young players, Chris Bryant with a newborn. Um, Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, that is really scary. And, you know, if you're their wives, what what do you do? I mean, you tell them, okay, go play baseball, but then I can't see you for 14 days or I can't see you for 30 days or, you know, I mean, because there's just, there's so much risk there involved. And Yeah. I mean, like you said, you really, you have to take into consideration the circumstances behind each of these players, because it's not just about them. It's about, you know, how the people around them react to if they do have it. And and that's definitely something that needs to be thought about and, and how, you know, the players are handled as far as, yeah, the showering takes place at home, but do they go home to their families or do they have to be quarantined themselves by themselves while they're playing baseball? I mean, there's just so many of those things that have to be taken into consideration if they're going to make this a fully safe 
environment for, for, for baseball to happen. Um, like I said, I just feel like there is, I can't wrap my brain around it. Obviously this is not something that I have on my resume to even think about, but you know, I mean, the people that are thinking about this, there has got to be the longest list ever of things that have to be taken into consideration and things that they have to work around and things that they have to make sure they address to get this ball rolling, to actually have both sides come to terms with this, because I mean, you know, just in what we're seeing, it just, I don't know. I mean, I'm really nervous that there is a point when baseball does not, it, when they just pull the plug on it for 2020 and say this year is a wash. Yeah, I think that's right. And we're all going to find out in real time if this plan is safe enough that they never hit that threshold or if something else happens. One of the issues that is going to be huge in terms of whether a 2020 season happens or not is getting the MLB Players Association on board. And there is a huge uh, stick there, that it, sticking point there that I think we're going to talk about in detail. But first, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. And we're back. So as I alluded to before the break, one of the things that is a massive sticking point between MLB and the owners and the MLB Players Association is how the players are going to be paid. Um, so if you remember back in March when baseball got suspended indefinitely, there was an agreement reached between the owners and the players that players would take a prorated salary for 2020. So if they played 82 games or 81 games, they would get approximately half of their pay. Um, the owners want to change that. So now that they know they're in a situation where there will basically be no fans in the stand and they're going to lose all of their gate revenue. They want to cap the amount of money that is going to the players at 50% of whatever is brought in by the teams over the course of the 2020 season. And then players would get a prorated proportion of that 50%, depending on what their salary would have been relative to the entire payroll um, of the rest of the team. This is, <laughs> for obvious reasons, if you follow baseball contract negotiations and the collective bargaining agreement, the word cap is something that like the entire MLB Players Association is allergic to. And I, I can't say that I blame them for being allergic to it right before the next collective bargaining agreement is negotiated. Andy, what do you think about the way the owners have sort of shifted the goalposts on how players would be paid this year and what that could do to future negotiations. Well, I don't know who makes these decisions for this group, for the owners group, but I think it was really, really dumb on their part to try and um, kind of slide this on the table this year. I think, um, you know, I don't want to say that you're losing fans, but you very well could be losing fans right now. And to, to, you know, piss off your product basically is what they're, I mean, you know, the players are part of their product um, to, to make them mad, to make, to put them in a situation where they're not, you know, excited to go play baseball because they feel like they're already now getting yanked back even more than they were before. I don't know. I just don't think this is a good look for the owners. I think they, they had an opportunity to be the good guys and be people that, um, that we don't look down our nose so much at, you know, like that we actually could, you know, feel like they might like baseball. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. They could have, sure. you know, they, 
I know. I mean, at this point in time, I feel like everybody hates baseball, but whatever. Um, it just, to me, like they could have really made the move and, and not done, not, like I said, slid that on the table and just worked with the players from the standpoint of, first of all, don't ever use the word cap because obviously right? that <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere when you use that word, especially after the way the season started and the negotiations that went into effect then. But then to, to add another layer to that is like at this point in time, like, do you really just not want anything to happen this year? Do you really want there to be no baseball? Because that very well could be the case. And that could be at the hands of you. Like you could be part of the reason why that doesn't happen. So, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's a little disheartening and, and what's going on right now. And I've heard some people say some pretty ignorant things as far as, you know, discounting the player safety and that sort of thing. But for the owners to be blatantly, talking like pay is the most important thing right now. It's just really kind of, I get it. They're losing millions of dollars, but they already have millions of dollars. Like, I don't know. It's just really frustrating to me because they had an opportunity to be the good guy and really, you know, show the fans and show the people that, yeah, they really do like baseball and they really do want to see, you know, the sport go on and, and, and be able to have some resemblance of a season this year and right now they're just, they're really kind of making it look like they hate baseball. And that's just not a good look for an owner group that really doesn't want to lose any more fans. You know, they already don't have the youth of America. You know, they struggle with that marketing plan to, to get the youth back involved with, with baseball. So like, what a way to, to really show people that you, you, you care about us being able to consume your product, right? Totally. So one of the things that I think the owners group is doing here, and I, I hate it, I understand what they're doing, but this is one of my biggest pet peeves, is they're trying to set up an argument that the players are greedy millionaires right before they have to enter a CBA negotiation. And I, look, I see people out there on Twitter and out there on the internet all the time, just repeating this talking point, you make millions of dollars to play a game, just go play. All, everybody's losing money, everybody's out of work, can't you just like suck it up and go play? And the thing that that misses, that I think is really important, is that the people who benefit from that fight are the billionaire owners. The, the way that this all is structured, the baseball players are workers who are out there putting themselves in harm's way, frankly, putting themselves in substantially more harm's way <laughs> in 2020 in order to deliver a product and without them, there's no baseball period. It's not like you can just like, you know, manufacture another Javier Baez in a lab somewhere. Like that is a unique <laughs> talent. I, God, I wish you could. It would be outstanding. You can't. I was just like, thinking about how I would have a team full of hobbies. Yeah, hobby too. <laughs> hobby too. It would be outstanding. But but you can't do that. And so you, the owners need the players and they need specifically the best players on the world out there on the field taking the risk of a virus that we don't know very much about. Sean Doolittle had a really excellent tweet storm about this when everything came out last week or maybe even a little longer than that, where he talked about, you know, we're all healthy and everybody says that we'll probably be okay if we were to get this virus, but nobody actually knows that. They don't know what the long-term damage to the lungs is. They know the virus damages other organs. Can you imagine if you take like all these healthy young men and their families and you're just asking them, 
to put their body and their livelihood at risk, uh, potentially indefinitely, because of a virus that we just don't know very much about. And so in my mind, the players should make more. I'm not saying they should make like their full pay over 162 games, but there should be hazard pay involved. This is not a situation where you try to cap their earnings based on league revenues or anything else. I see you owners out there with your billion dollars, you're going to be okay. You can afford to pay people, pay people what they deserve. And if you ask people to take on additional risk, you owe them more money, not less. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I could not have said that better myself. It, it just, it, and you would think that's something that is completely obvious to the majority of folks. I mean, to us, I believe it probably is just because, you know, this is something that a lot of our lives got flipped upside down when this became a shelter in place society, when we had to figure out life without being able to, you know, run to the store or hang out with our friends or whatever else. And, and now, you know, these players who I don't even know that, you know, the owners really, even are, well, I mean, I can't say all of them, but I've, I've seen a couple quotes. I don't necessarily remember from who. So um, forgive me for kind of paraphrasing here, but I've seen a couple quotes that, you know, player safety, yes, is a top priority, but having the game of baseball played is, is, is just as important or more important. And it's like, I just, I can't get on board with that. I just think it's silly and, and reckless. And um you know, these, these millionaire billionaire owners who, you know, sit up in the, in the protected castle and don't have to do anything and, and just basically, you know, um, tell everybody else what to do. It, it just, it's kind of ridiculous that that's, that's the way that they're going to treat, treat these players and expect them to go out and, and risk a lot to to be able to put this game back on the field and you know there's just no appreciation there and it's ridiculous and I I don't blame them for not being motivated to to want to hurry up and get back to baseball especially not the way that they're being treated by the owners that is something that I think is sad because I'm going to be really pissed off when baseball is not played this year because the owners could not understand that that is something that they probably needed to um not even not even, you know, have a, I don't want to say not have a say in, but they should have loosened the reins a lot on that and, and just been grateful that players are willing to, to risk their health and and play the game of baseball. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on that. And frankly, like, it's one of those things where the owners will probably budge on this. They, they have put forth some version of a revenue cap or a salary cap multiple times in the past and the players always say not under any circumstances and the owners always try to stick by it and this is no different it's part of a effort to make the players well the players were greedy and when america needed baseball most they wouldn't just come out and play for less money don't ask your favorite athletes and your favorite players to accept less than they're worth when they're doing something dangerous like see past the divisive rhetoric and remember who makes the game of baseball possible. It is the players who make the game of baseball lovable and fun and possible. You got to stick with the players. Um, the I'm hopeful that they'll move on that. 
because I think that they have to understand that that's a that's just a non-starter from a point of negotiations. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out over the coming weeks. They've got a pretty quick timeline on this. I mean, they want to do spring training two starting in June so that they can kick the nation's pastime back into action sometime right around July 4th weekend, which, oh, my God, like that's a photo opportunity. (laughs) I will like lose it even if there's no fans in the stands if I can watch some baseball on the 4th of July weekend (laughs) listen just thinking about that right now gives me the chills and for some reason all I can picture is Sammy Sosa carrying a flag and running out into the field (laughs) that was 9-11 I know but the reason you can picture that I was writing about this earlier this week I don't even remember what entry because all the days blend together but baseball is so healing It is one of those things where I can't even explain it. And I'm not going to pretend to say that sports heal all wounds. Look, there are a lot of structural inequities that exist that have been laid bare by the pandemic. And it is so devastating and heartbreaking. And I'm so sad about it. And baseball will not fix any of those things. But there will be moments that happen in the game of baseball over the course of this half season, if it is played, that will heal people's soul. In the same way that organ music was healing on Friday as you walked up Waveland. And if you love this game even a little bit, there's nothing else that can replace it. The Mike Piazza home run, Sammy Soso running out with the flag. There will be moments like that. And and I really desperately want them. Yeah, it, it's you're so right with the healing. I I that is the best way to put that because that's so true. Like I just think about the sound of the snap of, you know, catching a ball or the crack of a bat or, you know, just hearing an ump scream play ball. Like just the, that thing, those senses just combined, just get me giddy. Like if there's any hope of that happening, please, oh, please, God, let that happen. Like that just, that would be very healing for me. Look, y'all, I even miss Joe West. Like, <laughs> Let's not get crazy, Sarah. Let's not get crazy. Sarah, put down the wine. Put down the wine. I'm not even drinking wine today. I almost said, I okay, fine. I'll miss Angel Hernandez. I couldn't even do it. I could not even do it. I couldn't do it. Okay. Uh, We're almost out of time, but before we finish up, It has been one year of Cup of Cubby Blue. I've had the most fun doing this with my podcast partner in crime, Andy Cruz-Vanasek. And I am just going to throw this question to you first, Andy. Um, What has been your favorite moment of the show so far? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you've put me in such a bind. Um, Wow. We've had some amazing guests over our year and who would have thunk that in the past couple months we've had the people that we've had on this show um you know I'm gonna just go ahead and I've kind of been thinking about this because I was thinking about the best way to highlight our year and and what is the best way to say um what this year has meant to me and like where I feel like how far we've come and honestly I would say I don't want to say it's a best moment. I think being able to sit and talk baseball and like have people listen to us with you, who is somebody I respect and I like, I feel like I get smarter every single time we even exchange text messages. I mean, 
I just, I feel so lucky to be in this spot. I don't know what the heck you people see in me compared to her. <laughs> Come on. You're the fun one. I'm just a numbers person. Yeah, but the fun one usually means the dumb one. <laughs> so. Not even, not even. Which is fine. I mean, I, I'm okay with being the dumb one compared to you because that is still a compliment in itself. Um, but I've just, I've had the best time with you. And the, I think the biggest, not only like getting to do this with somebody that is a friend and someone you respect and someone you care about, but like, I feel like people have gotten to, if they listen to us on a regular basis, they've gotten to hear us grow as partners in this and like, really like listen to us. You listen to us from episode one to right now. And oh my goodness, what a difference. I mean, You can definitely tell we are having fun and we are excited about where we're going, but now we are in our element. Like this is who we are. This is, this is how we talk. This is how we giggle and laugh when we're together and when we're at games and, you know, when we're not on the podcast. So I think having the time with you and getting to grow with you in this capacity on this podcast and like having people listen to us and actually like us and know who we are when they meet us. Like that was also a a huge thing. Like when we met people at CubsCon and people knew who we were and that they listened to us. And like, that is, that's such a cool thing. And like, Sarah is an amazing writer. So people know her and know her work. And if they don't, they're ridiculous. But like, I'm just like, in my mind, I'm a mother of three that works a full-time job and likes to shop like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's just who I am. I'm just a normal everyday person. So for people that actually like, like to listen to me talk about baseball and appreciate what I have to say and, and can feel my energy and my passion about baseball. Like to me, that is like the biggest compliment ever. And to get to do that with somebody who I know tons of people respect and know that she knows a ton about baseball and like even have me sit in the seat next to her is just, I mean, that is like, that's a really big deal. And to have done it for a year, you know, and we're on what episode 75. Yeah. I think this will be 75 when you count all the special episodes and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal. So, you know, as, as long as people are listening and, and will will have us, you know, I will, I will continue to do this. I mean, like I said, it's time I get to spend with my friends. So I, I love it. And I, I, that's, that's my greatest part about this. I, I can't say there's been a good moment. I mean, there's been like the Pat Hughes interview, the Len Casper interview. Um, those were probably two big ones for me. Um, but I mean, all of our guests have been amazing. We've had so many good guests and, and had so many great conversations and I'm just so grateful to you and, you know, to, to bleed cubby blue and, and SB nation and everything. I mean, I just, I can't believe it's been a year. It's actually been over a year now, but to have it be a year is just, is, is insane to me. Yeah. I am also super thankful to the people who let us talk about baseball (laughs) for 45 minutes or so, uh, every week a couple times a week during the season um i i want to say one thing i think andy sold herself a little bit short there i if you go back and listen to our interview with rachel folden you will learn so much about the game of baseball and how to appreciate people who know it well just listening to andy and rachel nerd out about college softball and what it meant to them and i learned a ton from that conversation i had such a blast listening to two women just clearly in their element, pumping each other up and just so impressed with each other. And I, that's probably one of my favorite episodes of the year. My favorite moment 
of the year didn't happen on an episode actually, but it was having Andy come stay with me for CubsCon and seeing her excitement at being at her first CubsCon, which was just literally like, it was great. It was like child on Christmas morning for three days straight, outstanding, great. And I will treasure that forever. That was just so much fun. And I'm so glad we were able to make it happen. And you know, I have no idea if there's going to be a CubsCon in 2021 or if there's going to be a Cubs social media night in 2020, but I have zero oh. doubt that Andy and I are going to figure out a way to get together and bring you some awesome baseball content. So I thank you all for listening so far. We are excited to see where this trip goes. As always, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at, at BRYZ underscore Blue. You can find both of us at at Cup of Cubby Blue. And here's to another year of talking Cubs baseball. We miss you, Cubs. <laughs>